Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science. <laughs> so our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Frida. I'm Abby. And this week's movie is The Avengers. And I think maybe You're we've like, broken oh. Frida already. We haven't even started. <laughs> I love your... your uh, Oh, here I'm we- happy. Here we go. <laughs> Trying no, to spice to, things up. To be fair, I have to say, like, I have the flu, so I am really, really struggling with already trying to figure out how I'm going to keep my keep my levels up, even though I am super excited because it's The Avengers. It's one of my most favorite movies of all time. <laughs> so <laughs> I can already see Frida going, are you fucking serious? Um, that's abysmal. That's abysmal because you <laughs> you have the flu. And I hate Marvel. I know. What's going to happen? <laughs> Tune in to find out. <laughs> okay. Um, how about you? How's your world? Well, I've got, well, you remember the Japanese thing? Well, the person that won, I went to Japanese and it turns out the person that won, oh my God, like, well, it's just things have gone really well. Listeners, it could have been any one of you. So yeah, it just happens to be that the person that won the Japanese contest, um, well, we've really hit it off. Um, we've really hit it off. It, I didn't. I haven't known him for years before that. We didn't rig the competition. Nah, that's yeah, not no, no, no. What yeah. happened at all? No, obviously but, it was yeah. super random. It just. <laughs> complete stranger that you brought to Japanese and now brings you tea. A complete stranger. <laughs> he might have actually been part of the original Japanese circle. <laughs> what? If I think about it. <laughs> he might have. It's possible. So he knew what he was getting into, really. Mm. That's what it was about. He already knew what the excitement of Japanese was and was like, Jazz I Panese. need to get in on this Japanese again. Got in the Japanese. Well, that's a, there's a, there's a, that's a thing. And um, I'm also moving this week. So, yeah, we just discussed off air that you try to plan for moving weeks in advance. You're like, yeah, I'm going to get, you know, I'll start with, um, I don't know, my cables. Oh, my, you know, whatever yeah. the hell. What did I start with? Like appliances, kitchen appliances. Nothing you can do. The week of moving, it's like complete hell, complete chaos. <laughs> so I'm in the middle yeah. of it. It is just so, it's like I'm in a constant state of like heightened stress. Yeah. Just I just can't. It's like it doesn't can't. matter how prepared you are. It, at the end of the day, when it comes to actual moving day, you will still be packing boxes. You will still be trying to clean things. You will still be trying to figure out what you've forgotten or what, you know, where everything is. And then you're just going to live in a sea of boxes for a couple of weeks because the thought of actually having to open them again is so repellent to you that (laughs) you just like live in a suitcase. I know know that's going to happen. And I actually went to my new place and I just felt like it wasn't clean enough. Like it needed to be more clean for me to put things in it. Um, I might be avoiding things. The only things inside the house are a Nutribullet and a hand garment steamer. My mum was like, I have a voucher for this appliances online company. What do you need? I was like, I don't have a toaster. I don't have a kettle. 
Can I have a hand garment steamer? <laughs> Classic. So that's there, but I got cleaners to come and like clean the place. And they came in and they were like, I think it's clean. I was like, just clean it again. They were like, 70 bucks. I was like, okay. And they basically laughed at me. They pretty much laughed at me. I was like, just clean I it get more. It. I get it though. Every single time someone I've else moved, was here. Yeah, Disgusting. like when whenever I've moved, like it doesn't matter how clean the place is. I have to clean it myself when I first move in because then I know I cleaned it and I know everything was and and it's like no one's yeah. touched this but I me. cleaned it. No one's touched yeah. it. It's really... well, anyways. I'm in the middle of <laughs> yeah. that, but this time next week, there'll be Bob out of this place. Wait, always... and then I'll be in a new gorgeous little place, and I'm very excited. It is exciting. Mm-hmm. It's nice when, once you kind of settle, then it's like, oh, new home. Yeah, totally. Um, should we talk about this movie, though? Yeah. <laughs> shall we Shall we do the movie portion? Okay, I know you'd like to. This movie. is another avoidance for you. <laughs> she's <laughs> avoiding the moving. Now she's avoiding the Avengers. <laughs> okay. I'm going to avoid a hand steamer. What's the hand garment steamer version of this? Of no. avoiding the Avengers. <laughs> what act? <laughs> okay, go okay. on. All right, movie summary. Right. We are finally at the first Avengers movie. We've put in the groundwork to meet our heroes and villain, and it's time for an epic mashup. Loki is alive and burdened with glorious purpose. Underneath all that, he's still harboring some serious daddy issues and sibling rivalry. And as all good brothers do when they're out for revenge, he's going to take something Thor loves. And since he's a god, that thing is the entire planet Earth. Promised an army in return for finding the Tesseract, his allies open a portal, sending Loki and his scepter to Midgard to take control. In response to this otherworldly event, it's time for Fury to kickstart his Avengers initiative and pull a group of loners together to save the day. And like any group project, there are teething problems, personality clashes, one-upmanship and the only girl in the group. But ultimately, when faced with a pass-fail mark, they step up and a group that should definitely not work becomes Earth's mightiest heroes. As the battle for New York rages, Iron Man lays down his life, proving he is willing to make the sacrifice play and sends a nuke into outer space. Deus Ex Nukuna! Now let's go get some Swarma. You fucking took my trope. (laughs) You bitch! You bitch! You created the trope. It was right okay. there. I have another one. I'm sorry. I, I, I figured you'd two. have more than one. I have. I have three. Okay. Could we possibly do a Marvel movie and you only have one trope? Okay, on, fine. <laughs> <laughs> the Avengers. Okay. Well, how do we feel? I feel I feel two things. Okay. One is that I'm starting to get like the hang of the rhythm of how it goes. Okay. Right? It goes there'll be some initial kind of like set up with a blah blah blah. And then there'll be some like initial fight. And then they go away from the fight, defeated, humiliated, no morale. And then like something will happen. And in this case it's some like deception or like some twist. Everyone regroups for one final epic battle. And in this case, like the epic battle was really good. <laughs> it was like this great. I was like, okay. Because I was leading up to it. I was like, oh, I can't. And then the epic battle came and I was like, okay. 
Okay. Okay. I see. <laughs> what I particularly what I love about this movie is when you really think about it, you have you have these these introductory movies that we've we've covered for each of the characters and directed by different people. The story is being told by different people and everything's being like Kevin Feige is in the background kind of going, yeah, you're going to do this and you're going to do that because this is what's important. But the directors always have like a lot of scope to go where they want to go with the story. And then what it must be like to pull those characters together into one movie directed by somebody entirely different who we're not going to talk about because it's Joss Whedon and I had a Joss Whedon love fest before but that was mm. before we found out he's a fucking dick so saws oh, we yeah. can't talk about it what a what a what a asshole but I, I, but I will still stand by that this is one of my favourite movies right. I love it I just there's something about it that I get so much enjoyment watching it and I think it's the mm-hmm. interaction and it's watching everyone come together and seeing how well they come together and how well they work with each other and then just like you said that like that battle at the end like it's just great it's fucking great it's so much it enjoyment <laughs> the battle is great like it, it's one of but it's like it really needed to be great for me to pull myself back into the film because i was like i'm not falling for this i'm not falling for the regroup for the fall apart group like i wasn't born yesterday i'm not doing this i've got now left but then the battle it really was that fucking great that even me i had to be like oh <laughs> Okay. This is okay. But okay. anyway, I let's let's get yeah. let's let's Yeah, let's get into so what I want to do is I'm going to we're going to talk about the Avengers themselves in a while. Mm-hmm. That's all right. Okay, so are there any cameos that you want to I I know you have a couple of cameos that you want to I do. Talk about. Such Go a good on. cameo with Harry Dean Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton was like you fell from the sky. And and, and the guy's like, "Oh, did, did I change or did I this?" And he's like, "No, you did you 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 landed, you avoided people. What are you oh, an alien? I don't even know what words you're saying right oh, now. Sorry. <laughs> you have never slurred so much in your life. <laughs> this is what Harry didn't Sorry. Harry didn't and said to said to the Hulk. Yes. He was like, You fell from up there. And he's like, Did I hurt anybody? And he goes, No, you avoided people. You made sure to avoid people. However, and I was thinking, how did he know that was the Hulk doing like Swimming in the air, like breaststroke. Was he like, no, breaststroke in the air? That's what I was imagining or how he would know that, but whatever. And then he was like, what are you, an alien? Yeah. You from out of space I was like, or oh, hey. But he was like, because he's from Alien. I know. Because that was like, I thought that it might was, have been a joke. It, it was yeah, so, obviously. yeah, it had to have been. Like, he's just, it's just, I love that. I love just this rant. He was like 85 when he did that. Yeah. Like he did big love like twenty years ago, and he was already like <laughs> really old. It was cool to yeah. see him. It's such, it was such, it was it was just such a nice little cameo. It's like oh Harry, <laughs> so cute. Go on, with uh, and I love it. Even it, just even his little outfit and his hat. It just reminds yeah. him of his character from Alien Two. It was very it, sweet. yeah. It was really similar. Yeah. The other cameo was Jenny Agutar. Agu- Agu- Agutar. Jenny Agutar, Agutar. I don't know how to pronounce her name. I don't. I don't know who she is. But okay, so have you seen Silent Running? <laughs> I have Silent not. Running. One of the more famous science fiction films that survived the eighties. I want to say. Yes. <laughs> so she plays the main lady, 
and Silent oh. Running. But contemporary people will know her as Sister Julianne from Call the Midwife. <laughs> Come on. I've never watched Give Call the Midwife. More. Really? No. You sad lass. <laughs> you sad. Uh, the only reason I drink this much tea is because of that. I just don't think it's my vibe. Oh, it's your vibe. <laughs> Believe me. Are you female? I see that people are Do obsessed like with tea? it. <laughs> Do you like watching people have tea that's well sugared because you have to get your strength back? <laughs> then it's for you. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, those right. are my cameos. Okay, cool. Uh, do you have any scenes or any bits that you want to just highlight before we before we go into our themes? Um, I have a really good. I have a line that I thought was so funny. Okay, can I say my favorite line? Yeah, absolutely. Thor, who's kind of serious and not a joker, he goes. I forget that he's played by Chris Hemsworth, who has pretty good comic timing. And he's like, my brother is a god. He's, you know, he's defending his brother. And they're like, he's actually a cunt. Sorry. No, I... <laughs> Sorry. Have Sorry, care how you, you speak. Loki is have whatever, but he speak. is of Asgard a... and he is my he's brother. A... And they're like, he's the worst. He is adopted. <laughs> he's adopted. <laughs> <laughs> it was so perfect. It was like slam dunk line. Yeah, it was excellent. Yeah. There is, there's some, ah, oh, there are some great one. There's just great little moments. All right, for sure. And um, uh, okay. So let's do themes then. I don't have a whole lot to say here. It's quite, it's quite evident to me, really. It's just like freedom versus subjugation. Um, there's a couple of lines that they kind of say that really kind of hits it, and it's all just to do with Loki, like. There are always men who truly believe that they know how people should live and that their way is the right way. And if only people would submit, then they would see that freedom is life's great lie. And Loki has a couple of great lines about that at the beginning, about his glorious purpose. What did you think? Um, I thought, yeah, another... When he was like, Neil, and this old Jew was like, I there was once a man there was once a man much like you there are always men like you there are always (laughs) men like you I do I would not you know I was like I I can't help it I enjoyed it I don't know everything everything was a trope and everything was fun I don't understand (laughs) like what you're saying though did you think you could find some sympathy in what Loki was doing no, no, I was no, just saying that. Okay. No, I was saying that there was a lot of lines that he said about uh, the thing with Loki is there is more depth to what he's doing, and it is the the question with it. And there's a telling scene, and the scene is when the Avengers are on the ship and they're all in the lab and they start arguing, and at one point Ruffalo picks up the scepter. Like Ruffalo's getting angry and they're all and then they're like, oh, put the scepter down. He doesn't even realize he's holding it. Mm -hmm. And that is a telling scene in terms of where is the influence coming from that is poisoning them into causing conflict. And it's coming from the scepter. And the scepter was presented to Loki by the Chitari. Or by the Chitari's boss, who we don't see until the end credits. 
So okay. There's there's more like Loki has we know that he has these feelings, but there's a couple of moments as well. Like there's a moment with Thor where Thor's like stop this madness, and Loki just pauses for a second and he looks and he's like it's too late, it's too late to stop it. Yeah, yeah. And there's like just bit, what have I done? Yeah, there's moments where there's a bit of clarity there where you see ah. There's something else going on here that is causing Loki to have this level of aggression and desire to mm-hmm. destroy something in response to Thor. It's just a continuation of the Thor storyline. It's the sibling rivalry continued. And okay. basically, the entire battle is happening. It's all because of, you know, Thor's pissy little brother. Right. We'll so, to say. shall we go into tropes then? Fine. What is your trope, dear? Or my one of trope? them, or all of them? <laughs> my, I've well, I have actually two because the third one is actually from Iron Man three. I told okay. you I'd get my wires crossed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I call it torture toys. Torture oh. toys. When you have all these torture toys, and they're like torture toys. Oh yes. <laughs> and the thing they always pick is the teeth pulling one. Always. Or the they nails. always have like a chainsaw, and then they're like they run their hands across and they're like, hmm, what should I do? And then it doesn't get to anything; they just sort of tease it. So it's like teasy <laughs> torture toys. Uh, yeah, I love it. That's my amazing. Name. What's yours? Okay, mine is. Oh, I'm so happy that this has just come back into my life again. Reverse the polarity. Oh wait! From the Iron Man has a line. Iron Man has a line. I think it's to do with when they're trying to fix the the ship, the the hovercraft, when the blades aren't running. Uh, And he has a line. He says that stator control unit can reverse the polarity long enough to disengage maglev. (laughs) I just, I was just so happy. I was like, reverse the polarity's back. It's been a while. I didn't pick up on it. (laughs) With 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 Marvel. Is all their talk bullshit? No, I don't think so. Okay. Some all of it's bullshit. Talk. The babble. Some of it's definitely babble, but it's not all okay. babble. Okay. We'll We're going to talk about some science talk a little bit in a while, actually. Okay, fine. <clears throat> go. I don't. I didn't check if this was babble. I just, every time I see reverse the polarity, I just go, yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it. Do you have any more on tropes? Nope. Okay. Awesome. I really am excited about this because I really did just want to get into the science section. So science, let's do this then. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to talk about a couple of the environments first and just have a little chat about that stuff before we get into the characters. So the first thing is we've got super swanky government labs. Hello, secret government labs. Secret labs. Um, do you think that they exist? Do you think that they would be this clean and flashy? fucking hope not <laughs> i hope not because this this is for both of them i guess but yeah the I underground one and the hovercraft how much these movies like to build incredibly fancy things and then destroy them yes and i just all i can do is cringe of how expensive that is all i can do is like how many grants could have that have been yeah <laughs> like just destroy so much of it and Agent Coulson is like eek <laughs> eek you know I, I I feel like I don't enjoy watching all that destruction 
it distresses me. I'm like, <laughs> I, I suppose well, if you just kind of maybe think about, I feel like the approach needs to always be when watching these movies that we're looking at some form of parallel universe where a lot of things exist similar to our world, but money <laughs> is never an object okay. and destruction <laughs> is just normal. If money is never an object, like what's with Iron Man? <laughs> Why does he have that status? <laughs> well, I guess he's paying for everything. I guess he has to pay Someone, for the Someone's got to live on the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> yeah. Someone's got to live in Malibu. <laughs> Sorry, I'm skipping ahead. <laughs> no, that's all right. So what what I enjoy is um, I did I did enjoy the whole like underground thing. What I liked about it was there was one shot of it where you can see behind all the like banks of computers and stuff. There's two huge posters on the wall and one is a poster of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the other one is NASA. And I just love the implication that like this is something spacey. So just so you know, (laughs) it's something spacey, like NASA spacey. (laughs) Was that the one where the guy was playing computer game? No, this is the in the underground one at the very beginning, the one they blow up. That's okay. But yeah, that, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. then the hovercraft with <laughs> that guy's playing Galaga. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. The one where you saw it when the people were evacuating because they were like, "Oh, this thing seems unstable." It also seems very not sensible, and I totally agree with them criticizing the government for trying to just like get this energy source and like let's just like fucking see if we can turn it into weapons. And it yeah. just seems like a very unwise thing to do, and predictably, it will be be unstable. But you did see like there were families of like children running in the beginning. <laughs> oh I saw. God. I'm wondering. It's like if it's so secret. That if you work there, like your whole family has to live there, and there's a whole community of people. Mm. I suppose that if live you think there. of navy bases and stuff, totally. Yeah, and army bases. That is they all how have it to works, live there. isn't it? Yeah, they all live yeah. there. Because they get yeah. moved around so much. And that's the thing. It's like, yeah, it's the whole, oh, government taking this energy source and being like, oh, let's turn it into a weapon. And I'm like, well, I firmly and fully believe that that is the first fucking thing they would try to do. Yes, and they um, did a pretty good job at justifying it too because they were like, dude, last year, you know, like gods came down on a rainbow yeah, and started with the <laughs> fucking fire robots and so we need better weapons. Yes. And I was like, not, yeah, that's kind of how it is, eh? It's a, reason, it's a reasonable, some, like, kind of You need something process. bigger than the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> fire gods? Yeah, maybe we need to protect ourselves. <laughs> uh, okay, so do you have anything else that you want to say about the hovercraft? I meant to look into this a bit more and I didn't get a chance to uh, because all I was thinking about was when we did Battleship with Rihanna um, and you were describing the the different types of, of ships in the Navy mm-hmm. and there was the one, and I can't remember what it was called, but it's that one. Carrier. Yeah, the aircraft carrier one. And I was like, oh... I wonder how much power it took to get that fucking thing in the air. Don't worry about it, Abby. <laughs> I'm not going to. If anyone's if anyone's listening to this episode thinking that I was going to explain how that fucker was flying, I am not. <laughs> it is a parallel um, universe and they can do that. That's right. I think the hovercraft... Well, it's a parallel universe. Like you can apply that rule to everything. We're basically we we sound like conspiracy theorists, where they're like, "Well, but it's a parallel universe, so we don't have to answer your question." <laughs> so what's the point? 
<laughs> anyway, hovercraft. The hovercraft, it was also one of those. This is bringing me back to my space trauma. <laughs> when you're up in the air and you're smashing around things. Yeah. Just, they literally have a Hulk smashing. There's so many <laughs> fronts of smashing. And at some point it starts to lose altitude. And so that's at least something like <laughs> that. I always just like, how are you still in the air when you are just smashing around? Can you smash less? Like if the movie decided to smash less, that's what I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking. I was like, can you not just smash less things? No, it's literally it's Hulk. Much. Hulk smashed. That's like, there's. <laughs> it's just too. I know the Hulk, by the way, I wrote something about the Hulk. I'll tell okay. you later. <laughs> okay. Let's let's move on to the Battle of New York and let's just have a little chat about uh, what's happening here and our aliens with Love their them. directed energy particle rifles, their giant sure. eels in shielding of some sort them. that are able to swim through air, it seems. Love it. And uh, the drivers with their head masks on their little control systems. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Is that it? You just you just loved it. <laughs> Firstly, the aliens all look like the Green Goblin, in my opinion. <gasps> they do. I think the Green Goblin is so hokey, and it's even better because it's Willem Dafoe. So that's the first thing. But I love their weird swimmy through air. Yeah. Snaky. <laughs> that's because like, they, they look like they're on great. jet skis as well. <laughs> The aliens. So that's and the what Green Goblins also has some kind of jet ski. Yeah. It's so hokey. But they looked so good. They were great, yeah. I think it is as well, because, like, I mean, obviously there's definitely a lot of scenes, and when I look back on it now, there's a lot of scenes that are very CGI, that are very clearly CGI. But as we kind of move through them, you see kind of how the technology is improving as we kind of move through movies and, and get to more recent ones. And just, I just thought they just looked really cool. I was never really taken out of it with the CGI too much. And okay. so I thought that was yeah. kind of cool. I thought the aliens coming through the wormhole looked amazing. It looked much better than Thor. Maybe. Maybe. Like yeah. maybe how I remember it, but I was like, I thought it looked fantastic. So yeah, better, better CGI, better con- concept artist. I also liked in the fight that um, I don't forgot who it was. I, I love, by the way, that I'm not going to remember anything, but <laughs> you are going to know everything. <laughs> but who was it that was like, they're terrible at banking? Oh, Hawkeye. Yeah. Find a tight corner. They can't bank worth a damn. I love that because that that's, that, that's why this was kind of starting to be good for me because it's so big, so expensive, so much destruction, so much fighting that I stop paying attention because I'm like, oh my God, this is just so much. So I really appreciated a bit of strategy, a bit of clever yeah. stuff because it engaged me, you know, and I yeah. thought, oh, like this is just way too much. And then like, but in this, in this fight scene, I felt like there was some advantage that they had and they had enough people on their side that like they had enough power and it it was a satisfying battle because of that. Yeah, it it kind of it's that moment as well of them coming together of just being able to say, right, we've each got our strengths and this is what we can each do and it's how we'll win 
because we're different and because we have different abilities. So, so long as we kind of work together and, and figure out what our strategy is working together, then, then we can do it. And they did it. it was good. And they did it. (laughs) I liked it better than watching Lord of the Rings Return of the King. I feel so much despair when Lord of the Rings, and it's just like, I can't watch everybody getting defeated. And I just don't believe that it could win. There's just too much death in front of me. And then I'm like, I don't believe this is bad. (laughs) But with this one, I didn't feel that level of despair because I really felt like they were together and that they could do it. Okay, so let's move into our characters and our scientists. So just to give a nod before we get into the Avengers part of it, uh, we just have a return of Dr. Selvig. Again, he doesn't do a whole lot, but I just appreciate Stellan Skarsgård being there. (laughs) No, he has a whole lot. What are you talking about? Oh, wait, he doesn't have a lot of... He's all hypnotized. Yeah, but he doesn't have a lot of like... He's, he's there. He he lends some stuff in the background. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. So let's look at our characters, right? So what I've done is I've kind of batched them together, and uh, so we can talk about their kind of individual thing. But then there's also very specific duo dynamics that we have, as well as then getting into a bit of our like fight scenes and other dynamics. So let's start with um, the two scientists, the two actual scientists, and that is Bruce Banner and Tony Stark. Tony Stark being the engineer and Banner being the dude with all the PhDs. So it's our first moment with Ruffalo as Banner, but it is a direct continuation, I do believe, from the Incredible Hulk movie that had Edward Norton as it. So how do we feel about what's happened with our scientists since we last saw them? And how do we feel about how these two guys came together? I think that their dynamic is one of the most, one of the only genuine elements of the film, like genuine Hmm. human interaction and relationship. That's what I think. And you know why it's, you know why, Abby? Why? Mark Ruffalo. Lends the gravitas. He can do anything. (laughs) He can turn anything into like genuine human moment. Yeah. I think it's him. I, I, I completely credit him. And I feel like their relationship was genuine and it was not just like, oh, quips and then respect. Like, yeah. no, it was deeper than that. And I really, really enjoyed them. I really enjoyed the moment <laughs> at the end when Hulk comes out for Iron Man during right. the battle. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic the way that their relationship worked together. And then when he's in Hulk mode. That he comes to Iron Man's aid. Yeah. And I thought it was like such a good payoff. And it was the closest I've gotten to a bit of emotion. Like I was <laughs> almost there. I was like, I really felt something like a little flicker of emotion. And I, yeah, Mark Ruffalo, I, I think is just brilliant. I love it. We've got a flicker of emotion. Guys, we'll get there we someday. <laughs> someday we'll get there. Definitely. Uh, but then we have... Uh, just not too much to say about them but we have the return of Black Widow and we have the first real kind of meeting of Hawkeye our duo assassins who it's kind of firmly established that there is also a dynamic relationship between the two of them and how they work together but they're the two who are highly trained but not superheroes. So the ones who are like, we, we can be there, we can be part of the fight because we have a skill set that allows us to be a part of the fight, but we're not, we don't have the capacity for survival that the other guys do. 
Yeah. I thought Black Widow just looked exhausted the whole time. I loved how she just seemed over it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, uh, there was, was a thing where I like I liked the, her whole opening scene. There's two scenes for me with her where it's like her whole opening scene, which just kind of shows she's like, I am not afraid of any man. And then there's the scene with Hulk and she's like, but I'm not fucking stupid and I'm afraid of this fucker. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. She hasn't got the bravado of a man. Yeah. Because she's a woman. She's very brave. But she's not stupid. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I got, I thought, I thought that she, they were great. Um, but yeah, like their whole dynamic and the backstory thing. I, I felt I was a bit pretty bored. Like I didn't, I, I mean, she might've been like hamming it up for Loki. Yeah. But then it sort of came back after. I was like not super passionate about all that. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, that's the thing. We'll see where it Good. goes. We'll see where it goes. And then we have our gods, Thor and Loki. Uh, just kind of a continuation of the the events of the Thor movie. Um, and they're kind of how their relationship is not. It hasn't really evolved. It's just a continuation. It, it, there's nothing different about their relationship in this one other than the fact that Thor thought Loki was dead. And because of that, he seems to have a little less... Uh, more anger towards Loki than he had in the first movie, do you think? Yes, definitely. Like, I liked the compassion between them. Mm. Um, I liked, I loved, I loved um, Thor in this movie. Yeah, I really liked him. I really liked all his things. I really liked the fight scene at the beginning. Yeah, when he fights them, and then he fights. Iron Man and it's like no Captain America the shield yeah yeah it was like Captain America right that was the one who he hit the shield yeah and yeah yeah I just thought that it was amazing he's because because it was also like him finding an equal to his power that was just interesting so the, and I this yeah. is interesting right so let's just talk about Captain America for a second because in this movie in terms of like what's happening with all the duos he's the only one who's on his own and it, and it really is yeah, highlighting the man out of time because he's he's he doesn't know how to he's exist in this world. He's not a part of it. He doesn't have that personality that Stark has. He doesn't have the science thing. He doesn't have the, you know, he's just there's no real connection for him in the group. And then that's really highlighted at the beginning in terms of we've got the power connection, as you said, of him matching Thor and then the um, the animosity that kind of develops between him and Iron Man. And then it all kind of is in that weird three-way fight that we get between Thor, Iron Man and, um, and Captain America. And I kind of love that the first real big fight that we get in the movie is three of our heroes against each other. And I just think that's kind yeah. of cool. Nothing weird about it. I loved it. <laughs> I love that they all fought. I don't know, there's something, <laughs> something about it. Just a bunch of boys walking yeah. around with their <laughs> powers. It just is like if I was a teenage boy, I can just see. Like sometimes there are these moments in these movies where I'm like, yeah, like if I'm a teenage boy, <laughs> this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> you don't have to be a teenage boy. I fucking love it. <laughs> well, I love it for slightly different reasons, but... <laughs> They're all just being, it's like they need their mom to be like, boys, yeah. boys, boys, you guys are all brothers. 
Stop fighting. There's real enemies out there in the world. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, what I enjoy about it is all of our heroes fight each other at some point. You know, you have, like, Thor, Iron Man and Captain America have the big thing at the start. Iron Man and Captain America don't get into a a one-on-one fight, but there's a very important aspect to their relationship and how that's starting off and, and what their kind of impression of each other is. And the, where they nearly fight, you know, put the suit on and we'll see who, who can kind of go better. And then you have Thor and Hulk fighting. And I love there's a moment with Thor and Hulk where like Thor just looks at Hulk in such a way of like, oh shit, this guy's, <laughs> he thought it was going to be easy. And then he's like, oh shit, <laughs> this ain't easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good, yeah. I feel like that is the point of this movie. <laughs> like yeah. is everybody being like, okay, okay. I'm used to being a very a big fish in a very small pond. Yes. I now recognize that there are other big fish. And like, I f- like as I said, I feel like every movie has a point. Yeah. And that maybe was the point. Yeah. It's and then they were able to get to that point. And then we had to have the Black Widow and Hawkeye fight scene as well, just to show like the two, the two humans with, without their special equipment or powers having um, just a normal assassins fight thing. Fighting each but other. But just everyone fighting. Uh, everyone fighting up until the point then when they all come together and they come together in the Battle of New York to defeat Loki um, who was there for the Tesseract. So let's talk science. So I want to start by just bringing up clean energy because this is kind of one of the central points of the movie is it's this discussion about how the government are using the Tesseract because it's in infinite energy source and why haven't they consulted Tony Stark because he's the only name in clean energy at the moment with his new energy sufficient tower which is the main kind of feature of the location of the Battle of New York now clean energy is like also known as renewable energy and according to the energy association clean energy means energy derived from renewable zero emission sources that do not pollute the atmosphere And Stark, since his revelation in Iron Man, is focused on improving the world, while S.H.I.E.L.D., since the visit from Thor, is focused on defending the world. And both methods come down to this idea of these energy sources. And we talked about the arc reactor in our Iron Man episode and its potential as a sustainable source of energy. And we talked about its design being based on a tokamak and the concept of nuclear fusion. So I do think I need to mention here the recent breakthrough at the Jet Tokamak here in the UK. Because just a few months ago, they broke the record for fusion energy with a five second burst producing like 59 millijoules or megajoules of energy. Um, And it doesn't sound like a lot, but it is double the last record. And more importantly, the previous record was achieved back in 1997. So it's been 25 years since there was a breakthrough. But we have oh one now. God. We are progressing. There is hope for the future. Okay, I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, but let's go back to the movie. Right, Tesseract. Tesseract. So we first see the Tesseract in Captain America, the first Avenger. And at that point, we don't know what it is. We just know that it's some source of energy that Hydra is planning on using to create weapons. And then at the end of the movie, Howard Stark finds it in the water while he's looking for Cap's ship. 
In Iron Man 2, there's a scene where he's looking at his dad's notebooks and one of the images is of a hypercube, which is a reference to Howard's work on the Tesseract. So, Fredo. A Tesseract is a real thing in geometry. It's a four-dimensional representation of a cube so that its surface is made up of like eight cubicle cells. So basically, if you unfolded a Tesseract, you would have eight cubes in three-dimensional space. And the word was first used in 1888 by the British mathematician Charles Howard Hinton. Now, in our word, in our in our world, we cannot physically construct a tesseract. But this is space magic and science fiction. So for the purposes of Marvel, the tesseract is a four-dimensional hypercube that is being used as a container housing a very powerful clean energy source that can be used as a portal in space. Okay. I I was wondering as you were talking, because I I knew a tesseract, so it's like if a square is the cross-section of a cube. Yeah. And a line is a cross-section of a square. One, two, three dimensions. Then a cube is the cross-section of a tesseract. Yes. Whatever that is. And I was like, is its cubiness key to its power? Like as if it's a geometric idea, but if you made it, would it be like a powerful source of energy? And you're saying, no, it's merely the container. Like Mm -hmm. that's what the container requires because if we physicists understand the fourth dimension, it is time. I mean, it's there already. And so therefore it has to be like a, a, a container that is, cutting through space and time between two time points. So it's containing energy that somehow has a, has a time travel capability and therefore the container must itself be within those dimensions too. Right. So this is, Oh, this is great. Okay. If we talk about flatland, right. So I've never, okay, stop. Seriously, stop. Okay. (laughs) I'm listening. I was doing background music for your Tesseract chat. Okay, Flatland. So when you think about the the concept of Flatland, um, the there's there's a bit in it that's talking about the way that two D objects see three D objects, and this is that as the square is in Flatland and a circle is trying to move through it, then the circle moves through Flatland like a section at a time. And from the perspective of the square, it looks like it's moving in time and space. Um, so the idea of a 2D object looking at a three-dimensional object to the 2D object, it looks like it's time, right? So yeah. then there's this argument to say that a 3D object looking at a four-dimensional object is viewing it as movement and time. Yeah. So while we refer think, to the wait, fourth wait, wait. dimension as I think time. you might might have to start again. I think you, okay. I think you were, you mean to say that if the two dimension views a three dimensional object is hopping around in space, not time, no, because so, it comes no, it's, up from one crosses the section. It's seeing it as movement over time. 
movement over time. So if it, if it, if a circle, if a if a three dimensional circle is moving through a two the two dimensional space of flatland and the square is there yeah. in flatland and his little two D space watching the three D circle moving, what the square sees is a small point, and the point changes in position. Okay. As it moves through, yes. so it's seeing a change over time. Over time. I and then like eventually, okay. so the, you know, the circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you get the center of the circumference and then it gets smaller and smaller and smaller okay, until okay, okay, it's okay. gone. So the Sorry, 2D object that again is... I just no, interrupted no, no, okay. you and made you... Okay, fine. So yeah. the 2D object is viewing this three-dimensional object as a movement in time. And, yes. then, the, and then we could say that potentially us as three-dimensional um, objects or beings would view a four-dimensional object as a movement in time similarly Mm -hmm. so the concept of the tesseract while we refer to the fourth dimension as time the concept of the tesseract could be that this four dimension it's it's just a four-dimensional object but we see it as time so it would suggest that the fourth dimension of the tesseract would then see a fifth dimensional object as time Oh, wow. We're seeing it as time because we only have three spatial dimensions. Yes. But you're saying if it's a fourth spatial dimension. If, so yes. that's an important point <gasps> wow. for a different movie, um, which we'll come back to. But for the case of this movie, what, what we're finding in... Uh, in terms of the use of the Tesseract as a term and then the use of what it's containing, it's being used as a, as a portal. So what I want to do now is talk a little bit about space portals versus wormholes. But can I just say one thing yes. about the Tesseract? Sure. I just want, don't know why they gendered the Tesseract. In the beginning, they were calling the, the Tesseract she, 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 oh. her, she. <laughs> Were they? I and didn't I even like, notice that. Are you gendering the Tesseract? <gasps> I didn't notice Before it. I... Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's all. Okay. Um, Tesseract does not have a gender for sure. <laughs> Definitely. But not. it was 2012. Things have changed. Okay. Space portals versus wormholes. Now, we talked about wormholes in Thor. The link between different places in the universe through Einstein-Rosenbridges. But we're not talking about wormholes here. Because what the Tesseract seems to be doing is opening a doorway, not a tunnel to travel through. And it does seem to work on a similar principle. But what it's doing is it is creating a fold in space-time so that you have a shortcut between two points. And this concept is actually explored in the book A Wrinkle in Time by Madeleine Lengel. Langle? Langle? I don't know how to say that. I think it's French. Langle? Uh, right. There's a, a somebody also like uh, somebody called Jessica Weir in 1998 wrote a mathematical analysis of this part of the book A Wrinkle in Time at Brown University. And I think it raises some relevant points for how it's being used. So what it does is it uses the progression of three dimensional space and then four dimension, the fourth dimension being time and the fifth dimension being a tesseract where the tesseract can be used as a portal through space and time. So it's kind of reversing what we're saying about the realities 
if we think of like the thought experiment of flatland being that the fourth dimension in reality would be the tesseract and then the fifth dimension from the tesseract's point of view would be time but what we're basically saying is that this this fourth dimensional object can move through time and space and it does that by folding in space and it does this complete fold so that the coordinates that we would see in three-dimensional space, like our X, Y, Z coordinates, all become the same coordinate, say Q, in the fourth dimension. And then that creates this instantaneous travel between these two points, because in the fourth dimension, it's the same point. How, wow. how is that going through? It's good. I think, you know, I think that I was just, <laughs> I was sitting and thinking about the wormhole bending on itself and how like in my head, I immediately start to think of it as being something in three spatial dimensions bending. Yeah. And then you sort of realize that you have no way to visualize this, but it, you can talk conceptually about it. And then I feel like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Cause yeah. it seems to me that it has to be a different thing because in Thor, and in other movies when they use, like in future movies where they use the the Rainbow Bridge from Thor, like they're very clearly traveling through a tunnel. And that's kind of what, what I think of when you think of a wormhole. You think of it's creating a bridge, creating a tunnel between two points in space that you travel through and it's a shortcut. But here it's instantaneous. There's no tunnel that they move through. It's quite literally like a split in the fabric of or reality and it's just a different point in space which means that the position where the portal is is the same point in space for us above Stark's Tower at New York as it is for where the Chitari is wherever they are in space and the only way that can happen is if you have a higher dimension where those mm -hmm. coordinates are the same and if you can access those coordinates in that higher dimension and you do that using the Tesseract and Oof. what it is containing. Oh. Now, in terms of the flow of the movie, there's some science speak that we get from our dynamic duo of Stark and Banner. So I just want to talk about this and what they're trying to do slash explain. We talked a little bit about gamma radiation in our episode on the Incredible Hulk, but here we're looking at how to identify and locate an object using gamma radiation. So let's talk about gamma rays. They have the shortest wavelength on the electromagnetic spectrum, but they have the highest energy. And in our universe, gamma rays come from the hottest and most energetic objects. So things like supernova explosions, neutron stars, and regions around black holes. So it makes sense with the Tesseract having infinite energy that it would emit a gamma radiation signature unique to the Tesseract. Now, we can't use detection techniques like we normally see in telescopes, which would collect rays in a photo detector using a mirror. And this is because the wavelength of gamma rays is so small that they can actually pass through the space between atoms. So we have to use what's called Compton, sc Compton. We have to use what's called Compton scattering to detect them in such a way that the gamma rays interact with the electrons in a crystal, which creates charged particles that can then be detected by a sensor. And when Bruce first comes on the hovercraft, he says, call every lab you know, tell them to put the spectrometers on the roof and calibrate them for gamma rays. I'll work out a tracking algorithm, basic clustering algorithms. <laughs> now, Frida, I mean, you're my algorithm 
Plastering. I ain't got shit on this. But uh, how do we feel about this this comment in particular and this idea of the spectrometry and sticking spectrometers on the roof? What do we think? So so the spectrometers on the roof are measuring particular signals, profiles from gamma rays interacting with things. Uh, the gamma rays interacting, the gamma, emitting gamma rays yes. from the Tesseract. Yes. Everything on the roof. By the way, that that whole that comes up a lot in in movies that we do, and they go get all the signals from all the places and get all the data. And <laughs> yeah. knowing how hard it is to like get data into one place, I I fucking hate that because I'm <laughs> like, oh, get all the data. So what what I okay, was for so this? Yeah, because yeah. I was a bit like when he was like, what what put all the spectrometers on the roof? What just calibrate what? And then when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, there would be spectrometers that would be calibrated to operate within a certain wavelength or like to be able to collect information about a certain sure. wavelength they do know what wavelength of gamma radiation is being emitted by the tesseract so they know what to tell them to look for yeah. and gamma rays do travel quite far through air um so so the data coming in i guess be... like it, it's not actually as bonkers as i thought it was when i first heard it i was just like no and then i was like actually Maybe. So the clustering algorithm is clustering data points that are close to each other according oh, to certain okay. properties. Okay. So whatever those properties are, it's basically what if you're if you're mo- most similar, then you're in a group. Right. So if you have a whole lot of data points and you want to divide them into K groups, then you cluster them according to whatever properties you say. If there are two groups, they're then this is in that group and this is in that group because they're similar to each other. Right. It's an unsupervised machine learning. So instead of using the answer to train it, you use the similar properties between them to decide they're in their own groups. So I don't know in this case what the clustering algorithm is basically saying. If all these spectrometers are in different distances and they're getting different, um, different signals of gamma, then... I can Well, I guess they're sure looking they're looking them. for the location of so I suppose it's like what's the what what spectrometer is collecting the highest amount of signatures that's within this range that we're looking for. And that's where it is. Right. They're just looking for the biggest signal. Or Maybe, will yeah. several spectrometers be picking up on the same thing because it's very, very big? Yeah, I suppose. And then he or... might be clustering those together somehow. But I think the clustering algorithm thing is just, yeah. uh, he just threw just, a word out. It's very common. Science. It's a very common thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's kind of, that's that's the first bit. And then what we have is Bruce and Stark. So then Stark comes in and we get a little bit of a, a chat between them. And these are the lines that are kind of said. High energy density power source to kickstart the cube. Heat cube to 120 million Kelvin to break through the Coulomb barrier. Unless he finds a way to stabilize the quantum tunneling effect. Well, then he could achieve heavy ion fusion at any reactor on the planet. I just wanted to break down these lines. Yeah, go ahead, please. Because I just thought, I was like, well, this is interesting. This is the first time we've gotten like some proper like interaction, some science dialogue where they're using actual known science terms. So 
They need to break the energy barrier that exists between nuclei in order to generate a nuclear reaction. And this is um, the only way that they're going to get enough energy to be able to start up the cube and open a portal, is what they're saying. And normally to break this barrier, which is the Coulomb barrier, you need extremely high temperatures, which is why he's saying you need to heat the cube to 120 million Kelvin. Uh, This is back to the world of nuclear fusion. And this is why it makes sense that Stark would know about this stuff because, you know, he's made his little arc reactor and everything. But in terms of generating the temperatures that we would need to get through this barrier, what happens in the sun is it uses this quantum tunneling effect. And quantum tunneling occurs whereby a wave function propagates through the barrier. And it does this by using the uncertainty principle in quantum mechanics to break the rules of classical mechanics. And it just kind of appears at the other side of the energy barrier. But the probability like in our sun of this happening is one in 10 to the 28 events. And this is why one of the reasons why we haven't, why we kind of haven't really gotten this stable nuclear fusion on in experimental methods as of yet, because we can't heat to those types of temperatures and breaking the Coulomb barrier using quantum tunneling is not trivial to do. So I just thought it was kind of cool that they were actually having this conversation about this this whole real area of physics and real understanding of how would you get that amount of energy? How would you get that much of a reaction? What do you think? It excites you. Yeah. <laughs> to see that words on the TV with the people saying them it's good <laughs> nice stop being a dick <laughs> someone has to be a dick around here what come on it was, I lo- it was a real thing it was real they were fun then i also think like then i always have this moment where i'm like acting is silly <laughs> this is so completely off topic right but there's um <laughs> like when i'm watching tv shows lately i found that there's this one thing that keeps happening in like in characters and in, in storylines that i started to find really really frustrating and a bit uncomfortable and it's when you're watching like this this show with these characters and somebody comes in as a guest on the episode who's supposed to be like one of the characters really old friends that they've known for like 20 years and it's so obvious it's like you met that day you don't know each other and i just it it makes recently i've just been really oh acting look at them acting like they knew each other for 20 years (laughs) i don't know why but it's just it's just a thing anyway That is beside it was the fun. point. <laughs> I'm happy that you explained all of that because when they started throwing out the words and I was like, I bet you this all checks. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you. It's almost like they're doing a dance. They're like, let's do this dance. Yeah. <laughs> like in Pride and Prejudice when they're like, let's do the, that dance together. And it's like, oh, it's Suddenly everyone dancing. does the dance. Everyone's doing a dance. So this is like they're okay. doing the dance. A okay. dancing thriller. Well, there's it's like one... Mark Ruffalo on thirteen going on thirty, where he okay. dances thriller. Right, we're, we're moving. Insane. We're moving on from from dancing chat. Okay. <laughs> right. The there is one other thing that they bring up in terms of this, and it's they they talk about iridium. They say like why. So this is the whole bit where Hawkeye uses that really gross, or like Loki uses that gross eyeball thing in the dude's head, and they're like, 
Oh, that was kind of cool. Yeah, I making like that. that eyeball thing just to get in because they're basically <laughs> trying just to get at what he was doing. What? I need an eyeball. I need yeah. an eyeball. It took me so long to understand what was happening. <laughs> oh, it was so gross. But it was really cool then when you kind of saw the eye being like created in the in the little gadget that he had. But they're doing this because basically what they want to do is they want to get their hands on some iridium. And iridium is uh, the chemical element 77 from the platinum group. It is the second densest naturally occurring metal. It is the most corrosion resistant metal with a melting point of 2,719 Kelvin. So it's one of the rarest elements and traditionally would be used in systems that would need a high corrosion resistance at high temperatures. So it makes sense that like they would be looking for, um, that it wouldn't be easy to just get your hands on it because it's so rare. But what it does is it forms antiprotons. And I was like, this sounds like fake speak. And it's not fake speak. <laughs> hey. So okay. the thing is, I don't know okay. why they need it. They're saying about they need the iridium to stabilize the portal. And this is what will be able to keep it open in for longer. And I was like, I don't really get it. But I have a theory. So in collider physics... Antiprotons are used because they give a higher average energy in collisions between quarks and antiquarks. So my thinking is the iridium might be connected to matching the high energy of the portal in order to stabilize it. So on the whole, the tesseract is a higher dimensional object that is harnessing the power of something that is being contained inside it. It's using this to fold the dimensions of space and create a portal to the region of space where the Chitari fleet is waiting. They need to generate energy on the order of nuclear fusion reactions by using quantum tunneling to get the Tesseract to react and create the portal. However, mm -hmm. it won't be stable or very large. So in order to increase its size and keep it open, they use iridium to stabilize it. And the equipment Selvig uses to create the reaction is protected by an energy barrier that only Loki's scepter can penetrate. And this is because it has a similar energy signature to the Tesseract itself. But that's for another movie. And so they're able to stop the Tesseract using the scepter, which causes the portal to collapse and close after Stark throws a nuclear bomb through to the fleet. The end. Oh, the nuclear bomb. We just drop the nuclear bomb right at the end. Yeah, classic. That's how you fix it. <laughs> what do well you do done. with an alien fleet? Throw a bomb at it. They're not even the second or third people to do that in a movie. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, that's it. That is my my best explanation I can possibly give at this moment in time for what the Tesseract is and how a space portal exists. Very, very good. Did you get, did you think about like, did you get, did you think about, this? is this something, I guess my question is, do people after these movies like try to make it fit in science? Is this, a, is, is there a community that is really into doing what you've just done? I think there is. I think I'm a part of it. Yeah. I You're, fucking oh, love yeah. it. But it's not, it's not you? just that. I think that, like there are. And I haven't talked about science consultants for quite some time, I realize. And I should, I'll do that with the next movie that we do. Um, the next movie, well, the next movie, I, be <laughs> well, I know what that is. Anyway, sorry. 
I do know that they have a lot of science consultants. Not necessarily one particular one. It's not kind of like some movies that we've done where one particular person like Amy Maines here for Don't Look Up. It's they have a lot of conversations with a lot of different scientists about different areas of things and, and try to understand certain aspects so they they can write it into the story in a way that makes some sort of scientific sense or that you can link it to scientific concepts in some way. So I don't think it's a case of that they just use random shit and then other people try to figure out what it could be. I think it's that they they go into it with an idea of what the science they're using and what they're trying to explain it as. But I can't say whether the discussions that they have with scientists and then what's written in the script is the same as what I have just decided it is in this episode. Because that's just me not looking at what they've written and that's just me just going, well, what is a tesseract and what is this science dialogue they've used and how could we create a portal basically love it so i love doing it sold me okay because i was ignoring most of it and just being like (laughs) i i I was ignoring a lot of the chatter a lot of the talk i actually realized i started noticing that with myself in the beginning of the marvel films there's a lot of talking and i'm like i'm watching the words aren't going in my head Mm. i'm not paying enough attention and the fact that you're like, no, this, it actually fits with that. I'm like, oh, maybe I should pay more attention. But I get it, though, because you're like, these are not the types of movies that engage you. So it's hard for you to pay attention to it and focus it. Because it's the same with me with some other movies that we've done as well, where I find it hard to stay in the story because my mind doesn't really want to be in the story. But I, I like but- just listening out for the science speak. But it's also I have a prejudice. Yes, like, you I do. Have prejudiced. <laughs> I have a prejudice against these movies that I assume nothing is worth paying attention to because yeah, it's all action and quips and fights. And therefore, I don't think there's any dialogue worth listening to. And I'm trying to change you. But I will mm. say the miniseries is not going to fucking help with that. <laughs> okay, well, that's it. That's all I've got. Good. Well, that's a lot. You did amazing. I'm very, I just want to say out of all the Marvel movies we've done so far, I'm very proud of this one. In terms of like the science that we just talked about, I'm very proud of it. (laughs) Good, you should be. But let's, okay, well, that's it. Do you have anything else you would like to say about the movie before we go into our final section? Well, you just sort of dropped the nuke. We have to just make fun of it for a little bit longer. Day (laughs) six, nukana. But just the willing, like Amer- like the willingness of Americans to throw nukes in movies, and the board being like, "Yeah, we obviously have to nuke New York," and it's all like, those no, people, yeah. you can't. You know, it's like that—that I- is the island of Manhattan. <laughs> There's another thing in which I don't know where they were, where the where the graphics display said virus detected. Yeah, where were they? <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> um i actually also i came around to the hammer the hammer is cool hey um there's a lot of falling down stopping people falling down in the middle of falling down stuff that's also (laughs) weird science like that you know action falling down i'm always like can we science this i would like to get, get a clock 
and time the number of seconds that people are falling and trying to save things oh. and see if it checks from the height of the building. Right. Okay. Yeah, we wind. can do that. Okay, cool. At some point, because I've had enough. I've had it up to here okay. with the falling down action scenes. Um, yeah, little bits and pieces <laughs> that I just was complaining about. I did write, I hate the Hulk. He's so stupid. It's so stupid. <laughs> I know that I was like, Mark Ruffler does a good job, but the Hulk, when he's like green... He's so big. Can he be, can he be less big? No, because he's a fucking Hulk. That would defeat the purpose. I find the Hulk stupid. <laughs> okay, that's fine. You said the last time that you thought the hammer was stupid and you've come around on that. So we'll see where this well, that's goes. That's what I think now. Okay, we'll see where it goes. Okay, cool. That's all my little, little, little quips. All right. Okay. Quips well, for quips. Frida's quips. Whoops, I can't. It doesn't work. I need to stop talking. What the fuck? Let's do that. What the what the what the fuck? Fredo, what is your what the fuck? Okay, I just had a question about Asgard. Yeah. Are there cattle on Asgard? Are there cows? Because they all have a lot of leather. I was just wondering <laughs> about it because we they showed us Asgard and it's not really what the fuck they we went to Asgard it doesn't look like the most cow place well, or they're hunting they've got I just want to know I just want to see a scene of their where they get their leather <laughs> I mean I want to see them okay so I firstly see their animals. You're, you're talking where do they get their where, where do they get their animals from okay but but like Thor and them like these are the rulers right and so you're not gonna see any of that cow production, leather production stuff in those scenes. But also, like, they have a portal that gets them to nine different realms. So, right, that's what, so maybe that's they get question. it from a different <laughs> different planet. What do they hunt their, what do they hunt their, their meat that they make out of leather? They, it could be any animal with a hide. But <laughs> we saw a big, we saw Asgard. And I was like, none of that says to me, you know, animals, like, hunting in forests i was just wondering i want to see you know i really want to see them in asgard yeah. i want to see that okay cool if, we'll we'll send that note they... in okay thanks <laughs> okay what's your what the fuck my what the fuck i've got two. First one <laughs> barton's usb arrow sorry usb arrow yeah what's this there was like Can an arrow with a usb stick on it buttons where he was just able to like shoot the arrow and the usb went in i think it's when they're on the um when when they're about to infiltrate the ship i just i just think it's hilarious hawkeye's trick usb arrow is in desperate need of a dongle i just read an article I just thought it was hilarious. The whole Hawkeye thing. There's this great SNL skit where Jeremy Renner is in it as Hawkeye, and they're just basically doing like the the that Avenger scene where they're all fighting, and Hawkeye's like, "Right, I'm out of arrows. I'm gonna go." And the guys are like, "Well, what do you mean? Where? What do you mean you're out of arrows? How many did you bring?" And he's like, "Like eleven. And they're like, "You only brought eleven arrows to a battle." <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, I've, I've run out. I've got to go now. So, cool. That's Good luck, guys. Thing. Bye." <laughs> Bo- <laughs> It's just really funny. <laughs> Infinite ammo is like a trope, yeah. but it's really hard to justify when it's a bow and arrow. I know. So, um, okay. So then I've got one other one and <laughs> I don't know why, but I just, I just, 
I just love it because I just think it's really funny. So there's the scene with Captain America and Iron Man when they're on the ship and they're on the hovercraft thing and they're trying to fix it. And Iron Man's trying to tell Captain America like what's what what to do. So he's like he's getting ready to go and he just shout he just calls over there like invisible comms to Captain America. I need you to get to those relays over there and tell me which ones are overloading. And I'm like, to Steve. To Steve. The guy who's been in the ice since the 40s, who doesn't know anything about modern technology whatsoever. <laughs> Go to the relays and tell me which ones are overloading. Come on, man. I just Poor thought it Steve. was funny. <laughs> I just thought I just, he opens this panel and there's all this like futuristic looking tech and he's like, oh, <laughs> just going, come on, guys. Well, so, yeah. Which Chris is he again? Evans. Chris Evans. So that's it. Yeah. That's Good. what I got. He really, yeah. Good. Poor Chris Evans. <laughs> he really is like just this guy on his own and mm. it translates to a dork. Yes. I know it's the whole man out of time, but it translates to what he always was before, which was yeah. always a little, nerd the little that nerdy people dude didn't dude. like. Yeah. Oh, was it the flying monkeys? I got that reference. Great. Oh, speaking of flying monkeys. Oh. Iron Man 3. <laughs> All right. So. I get it. So, let's. Let, yeah. Final verdicts. Let's do final verdicts. Uh, does it pass the Sam's test? No. No, it fucking doesn't. No. Oh, I'm just like. <sighs> we'll get there. We will get there, but it's taking a fucking long time. It's I I'm finding it like 2012 like the fact that it still hasn't passed this fucking test. Oh, what year it's do we need to reach? better than her representation yes. in Iron Man Two. Yeah, it was an up. Like she had a more of a personality, more of agency. Yes, we're learning a bit more about her. We have the introduction mm-hmm. of Maria Hill as well, and Maria isn't presented in that same kind of way. You know, Maria is more of that kind of. Uh, no but I was very judgmental I was like okay here's another woman what's Mm. she wearing yeah I guess it's not terrible I was being very judgmental okay uh does it pass uh here comes the science I'm gonna find it really hard with all the marbles with here comes the science we can't I mean it can't it can't pass it it's fake science okay it can't but it doesn't have any like over exposition and the bit that they do have where they have the science speak interaction I think is very real it is and science speak. an actual genuine conversation thing where I'm like yeah cool yeah so I like it but like, okay yeah uh, final verdict I'll give it a hard three <laughs> what is that all I know you said you were going to give every Marvel movie a three, but like... I did, did I? Because oh, I didn't realize I had said that. You I said that. that in the last... You said that at Thor. You were like, I'm giving... Ev- you've decided that every Marvel movie gets a three. So I'm like, come on, man. 4.5 for me. It is one... It's my favorite... One of my absolute favorites. Okay. Three. Fuck you. Frida, what's the next Fuck movie? You. <laughs> I've really been struggling over this. Okay. Okay, we just had a little side chat. <laughs> Next movie, Blast from the Past. <laughs> it's our second Brendan Fraser romp. I just, oh, 90s Brendan Fraser is the best. So I'm excited. And 90s Alicia Silverstone. Yes. 
which is so amazing. I wish I wish there was a reason to do Clueless. Sometimes I lie awake at night and just think, what could I <laughs> justify um, for Clueless? I d- between do you, you and me, I've already been trying to justify what type of a mini series we could do. <laughs> just to do there's certain 90s movies where i'm like how can i get this into a i will find a fucking way i will find a way (laughs) i will find a fucking way we gotta get clueless on this show fucking hear me somehow just get really aggressive about clueless okay so blast from the past is next okay amazing but next right. week next week is the start of our mission catch-up mini-series which is five marvel movies in a row and admittedly the first three are going to be rough i'm basically just I've waiting one on, uh, yeah but I'm, I'm okay i'm basically just waiting to get to guardians like that's my main thing i'm like once we get to guardians we're like I fucking on a roll off really so I'm not looking forward to those green people in the tree man running around space <gasps> with funny guns. What the? Oh, that is, my God. But there's another Chris. There is. The advent of the Chris Pratt. Pratt. Okay, so next week, our first one is Iron Man 3. So do join us next week for that. And then in two weeks' time, we have Blast from the Past. So thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us on scienceofthemovies at gmail.com or catch us on Instagram at scienceofthemovies. Yeah.